chapter 2. And um, certainly good again to have our guest. And um, Brother Patterson mentioned the young lady, her uh, father's an evangelist, and he is out of Brother uh, Terry Long's church up in the Indianapolis area. And I've known Brother Long for quite a number of years and uh, a good man and uh, usually bump into him at general conference and various places like that uh, but we are thankful that you are here and uh, Brother Patterson mentioned the Valdosta uh, crowd always good to see them and uh, Brother Weeks Sister Weeks over in Valdosta just great great people and uh, good to have Antonio with us here tonight glad he's here and uh, he was here this morning came Wednesday night and uh, we're glad to see him and uh, and I'm certainly two weeks in a row now we've been in here doing our uh, social distancing stuff and um, apologize to you for the assigned seats but we'll get back to unassigned seats here very shortly have a friend of mine that pastors somewhere in the U.S. And uh, he got a text message, and uh, he sent me a screenshot of it. He probably shouldn't have, but he sent it to me, and it was hilarious. It was a wife of someone in their church, and they did the same. They we they grouped everybody up with families like we did, and uh, she sent a text to this pastor and said, Is there any way? that you can get my husband away from me. I can't stand sitting next to him in service. He about drives me crazy. <laughs> so, so I pray that that's not the case here. <laughs> and if you're sitting next to somebody that, uh, <laughs> oh Lord, I need to sing right now, Brother Patterson. Everything's going to be all right. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. I would like to start in verse 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And I want to take this text here tonight kind of in a, a theme, I guess, somewhat for Memorial Day and uh, preach here for... I'll say a little bit, and uh, but but there's some good things in these verses. Trust me, and we want to we want to get them out. So let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight, Lord. We're again, God, with Your Word, and I'm asking You, Lord, tonight to take this Word and God let it fall, Lord, on good soil. Our hearts, Lord, is that soul. Speak, O oh Lord, to us. 
Let your house, God, be filled with your glory. Lord, these are not my words, but they are your words. I'm asking you, Lord, tonight to use them, God, to encourage, to inspire, and Lord, even to convict. Lord, but most of all, I'm praying, God, that you would take these words to convert us. Help us, God, to be born again. I pray, Lord, tonight for every family, God, that's in this church. Pray, Lord, for every person, God, that is, Lord, with us tonight. Whether they're here physically or whether they're watching, Lord, the live stream. I'm praying, God, tonight that you would touch and minister, Lord, in their lives. We know, Jesus, that you are a great God. It, Lord, it's us that are weak. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight to let your sustaining grace, sufficient grace, help it touch every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I want to preach to you on this thought here tonight about the soldiers of the cross. You're aware that I think most of you probably are aware that tomorrow is Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is a federal holiday that uh, we observe annually. Um, it has its origins back uh, really in the Civil War to commemorate all of the soldiers, whether they were Union or whether they were Confederate that fell during that horrific and horrible war that was really so far, thankfully, is the only war that's been on the soil of the United States of America. It was officially proclaimed in May of 1868 by a general by the name of John Logan. And the first observation was on May the 30th of that same year whenever they began to put flowers on the graves of those fallen soldiers. And then uh, the first state to officially recognize that was the state of New York, and that was in the year of 1873. So you're aware that this holiday is one of the older holidays that we have here in America. But what may uh, needed to have been a solemn observance of this holiday has somehow gotten lost in a lot of the shuffle because in 1971, the uh, Holiday Act that was observed nationally turned it in to a three-day holiday weekend and it, from that point, apparently kind of degenerated into a a sense where that now it's about barbecue grills and I hate to say it, but a lot of our world will be drinking and carousing and it's just another day or another excuse for them to imbibe in the things of this world. And yet whenever you look at the veterans of foreign wars, they said this in their 2002 address. They said change in the date merely to create three-day weekends has undermined the very meaning of the day. No doubt this has contributed greatly to the general public's nonchalance in our observance of Memorial Day. In fact, I was, if I were to do a poll here tonight and to ask you before you Googled 
to find out what Memorial Day stands for, probably only a very small few. That would probably be mostly our veterans here in our congregation that would be able to tell you what the real meaning of this holiday is. And yet, we lose as a nation whenever we fail to remember the price that these men and women have given their lives in this matter for us to have freedom. And I know that even here tonight, there ought to be a part of us where that, that we enjoy this freedom to be able to come and to meet uh, as a congregation and to be able to worship the Lord here as we are doing here tonight. But yet, if you have forgotten what that meaning of Memorial Day is. All you need to do is to refresh your memory with some of the pictures of the long rows of white crosses, no matter where you may find them. There are those up near Phoenix City, Alabama. There are others over in Andersonville, Georgia, and perhaps the most famous of those would be in Arlington National Cemetery up in Washington, D.C. But it's not just limited here to the United States of America. Those crosses are scattered throughout our world. You find some of them in France. You will find them uh, on the coast of Normandy where the D-Day took place back in June of 1944. All of those crosses remind us that there was an American soldier that gave their life for the freedom that you and I, that we enjoy here tonight. Memorial Day is also the unofficial beginning of summer and I believe that one of the greatest things that you can still do with your summer is to read books. I'm going to say that again. One of the greatest things that you can do with your summer is to read books. And so I would just tonight just kind of remind, maybe prompt your memory here uh, maybe you've read some of these. Maybe some of these authors are totally foreign uh, to you here tonight. But Stephen Ambrose, anything that uh, he has written, he has written a lot. He's now dead. But he uh, was really the moving force behind the World War II Museum down uh, in New Orleans. And he has written a number of books about World War II citizen soldiers or D-Day or a Band of Brothers of various other books that he has written over the years about what took place there in World War II. He's got a son and his son's name is Hugh Ambrose and he wrote a book called The Pacific and he talked about the Pacific Theater of World War II and then there is James Bradley who a number of years ago wrote the book Flags of Our fathers and explored the lives behind those men that raised the flag at Iwo Jima and then he wrote another book called Flyboys about those that flew the P-47 Thunderbolts in World War II. Hampton Sides wrote a book called Ghost Soldiers which was about the death march that was across uh, Batan and, and in all of that 
Whenever you start looking at ways to read, and then recently Justin has uh, given me some books of a man by the name of Rick Atkinson, more of a, a newcomer, but he has written a lot of books as well about World War II and about all of the things of that, and then some of the books that explores about Afghanistan and our Iraq. Marcus Luttrell wrote an incredible book called Lone Survivor, and I promise you, if you start it, even if you're not a reader, it's a very hard book to put down because he draws you in with that story. And then Doug Stanton wrote a book called Horse Soldiers. But then uh, here recently, oddly enough, Brother Ben Weeks over in Valdosta introduced me to a writer probably two summers ago by the name of Ben McIntyre. And, and uh, he writes stories about the spies that operated in World War II and then even after he writes about the Cold War and about how that all of the subterfuge that took place in uh, those stories. He wrote a book called A Spy Among Friends and told the story about Kim Philby, about being a double agent that came out of Great Britain and yet was feeding information to Russia during the Cold War, which not only affected Great Britain, but it also affected us. And you start reading about those things and it gives you an appreciation for the price that has been paid for what we experience here tonight uh, in our freedom. And yet, I would say tonight that a lot of people in America have really lost touch with some of the history in the past that they no longer appreciate the fact about what these soldiers have done for us in the past. And, and yet the text that I read to you here tonight, here is where even I have a greater concern that I'm afraid that even as a modern apostolic church that we have gotten so far disconnected from uh, our soldiers in the past, Paul and Barnabas and and Silas and, and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John and, and Cretans in Dalmatia and, and there are a host of others that you could name here tonight and yet the scriptures, they draw us into the lives of those soldiers that you are there and so it is that Paul begins to write these words to this young pastor Timothy there at Ephesus. If you still have your Bible open, I would like for you to look with me again to our text. Look there in verse one. He says, Thou therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses and then the same that you've heard of me. You commit that to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. There is something that I would just emphasize to you tonight that any apostolic church that there is going to be more than just feeling in worship and the operation of the gifts of the Spirit and the falling of the Holy Ghost. Paul indicates to me right here in this text that the apostolic church will be a learning church. It will be a church that is focused around the word of the Lord. And then he goes on in verse three. He says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. 
I have a feeling that whenever Paul was writing these words to Timothy somewhere uh, in the early 60s, perhaps even the mid-60s AD, that he was letting his mind drift back to being a, a soldier of Jesus Christ, that there would be a part where that you would be like one of the Roman centurions. A centurion was a soldier, soldier. He, his promotion came only after 16 years of combat service and what he knew about combat was not something that he had necessarily had learned from a book, but he had been involved in it there on Roman battlefields. He knew what valor was about. He knew what it was like to carry the point of the spear. He knew what it was like to have to carry around a 90-pound pack. He knew what it was like to have to spend all of his money to be able to finance the equipment that he was to carry. He would walk 20 miles a day at times and he knew what it was like to survive under some of the harshest conditions of the places where that they campaigned. He, he knew what it was like to not only be a fighting man, but he knew what it was like to be an engineer because the companies of those soldiers not only were fighting men, but they were building men as the Roman Empire advanced itself there in that first century. He would serve in uh, the army for 25 years and then at the end of that 25 years, so add that up together in your mind. He had been a soldier for 16 years and then you add the 25 to that around somewhere around 40 years or so of service that this man would find himself and then after that he would be given a small plot of acreage there and a cash payment and he would live the rest of his days on that. And so when Paul was writing to Timothy he says, Timothy, he says, I want you to understand that this man is a soldier, soldier and if you are going to discharge your duties in the kingdom of God then you are going to have to be a soldier of the cross. Paul comes along and he's telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, he said, I want you to emphatically know that you have to embody all of these traits and these characteristics that come to these men. It's important that I should add to you here tonight that that man was not born into that position. It was a position where that he was trained by rigorous discipline. And I, I know here tonight that some of you men that you have been uh, in in uh, the military that there is just something about it. I, I mentioned this to Brother uh, Abersall here several months ago, maybe even longer than that. I don't quite remember, but but Brother Abersall and even Brother Wells, both of those men, whenever you you meet them, you you know that those guys are pilots. It doesn't take. Well, maybe you wouldn't know that, but I have been around a few of them before, and, and some of that came in, the, coming into the hospital whenever I was still working at Flowers. There were several times where that uh, there were helicopter crashes out on uh, the training fields, and some of those men would be brought in as patients, and, and uh, while they would be brought in, the visitors would come in, and, and there's just something about those military men. None of them are fat. 
They're, they're all disciplined and they're, they're thin and they're, you can just tell that they uh, don't let their appetites get out of control and there's just something about their presence. You can just say, that guy right there, he flies uh, helicopters. I don't know all the men that have come through our church in training over the years. Brother David Tander years ago came through and various others. When you look at them, there is just something about it. You say, I know that that guy uh, is in the military. What is it? There is is a discipline that comes with being a soldier and that is what Paul was telling Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, he said, I'm just telling you now that you're not gonna find uh, that, that this life in serving the Lord Jesus Christ is not gonna be a soft life. There are going to be times where that you have to discipline yourself against the challenges that you will face in there in Ephesus. It, it, it's not easy, Timothy, but it is necessary. And, and I would just say here tonight that you have to deal with what Paul told Timothy just like I do and there's some principles that I'm going to bring out here in this text here tonight. Look there with me in verse three. The Bible says there, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That is the first thing that Paul tells Timothy. He said, Timothy, he said, you're gonna be required to suffer some trouble and you're gonna have to endure some afflictions that is going to take place in your life. It's not going to be an easy path where that you just waltz your way in uh, to heaven and to think that, that 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 is going to be the way that it is. There are going to be spirits that you're going to have to battle with. There's going to be people that they're in the church that for lack of a better description they're not heads and they're, they're dingbats and they're hard hearted and they let their their flesh rule them instead of the spirit. They will oppose you and they will try to tear you down. Timothy, there's gonna be places in Ephesus that they will try to eat you alive and yet in other places, Paul hinted at it. Look with me in your Bible. Look to chapter one of 2 Timothy and look there in verse eight. Here is what the scriptures had to say. It said, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but, that, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Turn over there a page and look with me to verse 10 in chapter two. It says, and therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Turn over a page and look in chapter three and verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. He says, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord 
Lord, he delivered me. Look to chapter four and look in verse five. It says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. I wanna camp out on that for just a moment. Do you realize that even in this local church here tonight, you may not be a pastor or a preacher, but all of us have been called to some kind of ministry and here is what Paul is saying. You need to make full proof of your ministry. That means you need to invest into everything in your life and to make sure that it is looking good and that you are doing what is right. It doesn't matter to me tonight whether you are a preacher or whether you are a singer or whether you are a Bible study or a Sunday school teacher, anything else that we could fill in the blank there. I'm just gonna tell you, we ought to do our best at everything we do in the church. I love Brother Josh, and I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Don't hide, Brother Josh. We started cutting the grass, and uh, <clears throat> and so I got out there, and they give me a, a weed eater and edger. And Brother Josh said, "All right, this is what you need to do." And so I was, I thought I was doing what he told me to do. And the next thing I know, Brother Josh come up to me and. Brother Harrison, I, I want you. I, I love you, Pastor. I love you. I, I'm, I want you to know. I, I really love you. I appreciate you out here helping me. He said, "I don't. I want you to know one thing." He said, "You see this right here?" I, I said, "Yes, sir." He said, that, that looks like what a novice was doing. He said, I'm a professional. He said, I want these yards done like a golf course. And I'm going to tell you what, I, he's, he's a guy in charge. And I thought to myself, Brother Josh is making full proof of his ministry because what he wants is he wants the grounds of this church to look top notch so when people drive by that they can see. I'm just going to tell you that we ought to encourage that kind of attitude here in our church. Now, can I pastor a little? Little bit, and I know I'm live streaming right now, but it doesn't matter to where you're at in every department in this church. You ought to be trying to do your best at it. If you're an usher, you ought to be doing your best to us. If you're a teacher, you ought to be doing the best you can to teach. There ought to be something in your life that you say, I'm going to make full proof of my ministry. Now, that didn't count in the time right there, that four minutes that I spent on that. So I'm going to take that time out there. But, but again, hear me, church. Whenever we do our best, what are we doing? We're making full proof of our ministry so that when the world comes in, then they can say, you know what? These people aren't just going through the motions. These people love God and they're taking to heart what Paul told Timothy to make full proof of your ministry. And yet Paul was saying, uh, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, and whether we be a Afflicted. It is for your con consolation and salvation which is effectual or effective in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Look at that scripture there. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and you can't believe what he's saying. He's saying, do you realize that there are times whenever your suffering is contributing 
contributing to the salvation of somebody else. You need to say, now how does that happen? It happens like this, that other people see you walking through difficulties and trials and challenges and they say, you know what? If the Lord is sustaining them and helping them, then the Lord can help me in my situation as well. We ought to take heart in every bit of the problems and the difficulties. Now, I know I'm preaching right now and it's easier to preach it than it is to live it, but I'm just praying right now that every one of us, that whenever we start hitting difficulties and challenges in life, then here is what we ought to do is we ought to say, I'm gonna press on through this thing. I'm gonna press on through this thing right now. This is what both of my boys have said to me and it's been not elicited. They volunteered this and they were not together when they said this. But Nate has said it and Justin has said it. He said, Dad, have you talked to Brother Paul? I said, yeah, I've talked to Brother Paul. And, and both of them said, Dad, I can't believe what he's saying, that he's saying he wants to glory, the glory of God to come through every bit of this. That we want healing, absolutely. But in the main thing that I'm hearing Brother Paul say is that the glory of God is gonna be magnified in our life. What are you doing when you do that? You are enduring hardness. And I know it's easy to complain and I do my share of it around my wife, whining and griping and complaining, but it is ungodly. And if there can be a gratefulness and a thankfulness to get in your heart and say, Lord, I know you know what you're doing and you're gonna help me to endure hardness so that whenever I'm walking through this, that you're gonna be exalted. And so job problems, closed doors, disappointments, all of those things, what are, what are they doing? They're developing qualities in every one of us. And Timothy uh, comes along there and he says, I'm gonna tell you, Timothy, he said, sufficient grace from God, here's what it does. When you're in the middle of affliction and challenges and difficulties, it can create endurance and it can create discipline. It can create self-sacrifice and vigilance and it can create obedience and sympathy and loyalty and I believe that all of us probably want those qualities in our lives but to get to those things there's going to be some hardness you're going to have to endure and we've got to understand that our foe, you realize this the devil and all the buck privates he's got, or maybe you've got a lieutenant colonel assigned to you. I told my wife the other day, I said, that little buck private, I think the devil's got assigned to me is constantly riding and carrying on and creating confusion in my life. But understand this, if the enemy's gonna be disciplined and if Brother Adam, if the enemy's gonna battle and fight against me, then you know what I need to do? I need to be just as disciplined. I need to be just as somehow committed and vigilant and unrelenting as what the enemy is and sometimes we fall into that trap of mully grubbing and depression and challenging things that takes place in our lives but by the grace of God we ought to take to heart what Paul told Timothy he said Timothy he said you endure hardness as a good soldier and so we've got to fight on through the affliction. We got to fight like Jesus told his disciples to fight. 
If your eye offends you, pull it out. If your hand or your foot offends you, cut it off. You have got to somehow, you've got to walk through all of the challenges and those things. You need to fight even like Jesus whenever he told the devil, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Now what does that look like? I'll tell you what that looked like. That looks like when you walk in this door that you don't even have to open the doors, that you can walk in the crack up under the bottom of the door or you can squeeze in through the crack back there in those double doors and you say, oh my Lord, I'm so discouraged and I'm so down. Whenever you get in this place, you begin to lift your hands to the Lord. Mercy there was great and grace was free. I got to singing that song tonight and I thought, oh my Lord, what the cross has done for me, what Calvary has done for me. There is something about it that you have to endure hardness. There was a chaplain in the Crimean War <coughs> back in the 1850s and he was on the side of France and they were fighting against Russia and he first got there on the, the battle scene and, and uh, he, he went up to the sergeant and he said, Sergeant, and he, who was a Christian, he said, I, I want to know to, to how to best serve these men here. And, and uh, so that sergeant said, I'll tell you what, he said, I want to take this young preacher. Come on with me. And he said, let's go to the hill up above the battle. And so he got up above the battle and he started looking down. He said, you see that, that expression on those soldiers' faces? And that young preacher looked closely at those soldiers that were down there battling against the Russians. He noticed there was something about it that they felt like it was a life and a death battle. And that there was an earnestness that was on their face there and that sergeant turned and looked to that young chaplain he said if you're going to do any good then here's what you have to do you have to be earnest because an earnest man always will make his way an earnest Christian is always going to make his way no matter what difficulties you face no matter what challenges you face you ought to be like one of those corks I hadn't been fishing in so long, I don't even know if I even would remember how to do it. But I do remember from years ago, that little red and white cork, that, that thing would bob down and, and next thing you know, it'd pop back up again. It would stay under for a little bit and then it'd pop back up. There ought to be that same tenacity in every one of our lives here tonight that we endure hardness as a good soldier. But notice what else Paul writes there in verse four. He says it like this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Look with me in your Bible. It said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of his life or this life. To be a soldier of the cross, you're going to have to endure hardness. But the second thing is this, is that you are going to have to make sure that you do not get entangled. The word there for entangled literally means to weave. And Paul is saying, he's saying, Timothy, he said, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are things there that are not necessary 
necessarily uh, uh, sinful for you. But uh, this comes to mind right now, Brother Pittman, you and I went to eat probably 10 years ago or so, and, and uh, you quoted this scripture, and I never have forgotten it, and I, I knew it, but he brought it out in a, in a context like this. He said that, that all things are lawful, but they are not expedient. Do you know what that means? That means that there are things where that they may be okay, but if you're gonna get to where the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to go, they're not expedient. And so don't let your life get woven in to those things. They're distractions. They're hindrances. There's things that oppose you. And the best thing you can do is to not get entangled. You are a soldier. An ordinary citizen, they can do whatever they want to do. They can make their own decisions. They can choose to use their time however they want to. They can get involved in sports and in education and business or politics. They can eat what they want to eat. They can eat where they want to eat and they can eat what they want to eat. But if you are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, then there are things that you don't need to get tangled up with. There's got to be a purpose about what we're doing. I want you to notice, turn over a page or so and look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Look at what Paul writes. This is his swan song. This is the last thing that Paul writes. This is basically his epitaph. Last letter he's writing. Look what he writes there in verse 10. He said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans is gone to Galatian. Titus, he is in Dalmatia. And there is that part where that we look. Demas, you have forsaken me, why you love this present world Luke chapter 8 and verse 14 and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25 the Bible says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight, I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And then look with me to 1 Timothy. I'll, I'll let you turn over to that one. Turn back just a few pages and look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let's start in verse 9. Here is what the apostle writes. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. He said, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, 
weakness, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Paul is saying right here, he said, I'm gonna define a man of God for you. What does a man of God look like? It's in verse 11 and 12. A man of God is marked by what he flees from, what he follows after in verse 12, what he fights for. Those are the things that you have to realize to say, you know what? I don't want to let myself get distracted. I don't want to become tangled up with all of the things of this life. Peter writes it like this in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And so Paul was telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, he said, whatever entanglements there are that they move in your direction. Some of them may be good and beneficial causes, but here is what you have to understand. He's saying this, that if they entangle you and distract you, then what are they going to do? They are going to hinder the progress of the kingdom of God. Now I'm gonna carefully say this right now to us at this time in the history of our nation, but nowhere does Paul encourage Timothy Timothy organized marches. I want you to register voters. I want you to get involved in voter registration affairs. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, look, I want you fighting with the Roman government. He doesn't say any of that. You know why? Because here's what Paul understands. He understands that men and women that are not entangled by the world, that if there is effective converts that are made, that is the greatest greatest thing for the reformation of our society. That means that once we get the lockdown over with, that we have got to fill this place up whether they're backsliders or whether they don't know beans about Pentecost. Every place in this building, the choir lot, the platform, every chair in this place, it needs to be filled up with apostolic, Holy Ghost filled believers and that is up to us, church. It's up to us. If you look back at the history of England back in the 18th century, there were horrible social conditions there. In fact, if you've read any of the stories that Charles Dickens wrote, like Oliver Twist, I read that uh, to my kids years ago. Oliver Twist, A Christmas Carol, A Tale of Two Cities. You start reading about the conditions that was in that day there in the 18th century in London. It was a horrible place. But I want to tell you this. Everywhere there was corruption and crime and sinful vices and violence. Every bit of it had penetrated every level of society. And you know why? It's because the church had gotten so materialistic and spiritually dead that somewhere along the way that it was the butt of jokes and nobody really took the church seriously. If ever there needed to be a time whenever the church stands up and we are taken seriously 
seriously. It's got to be now. But you're going to have to endure hardness. You're going to have to get rid of the entanglements that are in your life that are holding you back. And yet it was that there was a part there that even in France, France got so stirred up with a revolution that it produced uh, the, the work of the guillotine and, uh, and people being beheaded. And yet out of the middle of all of that, there were two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. One wrote sermons and the other wrote hymns. John and Charles Wesley started pursuing what was called the holy methods. If you start reading John Wesley's journals, you'll start realizing that there was a part where the revival began to take place in his life. I believe that the man had the Holy Ghost and there began to be a conformity that said we want to pursue holiness. We want to do everything we can to get rid of the world in our lives. I'm pleading with you tonight, church, that there ought to be something about every one of us that we ought to say we need to do everything we can to get rid of the worldliness and all of the things that we have allowed to penetrate our lives that really basically is nothing but spiritual nonsense. Leonard Ravenhill in his classic work he wrote it back in 1959 Why Revival Tarries he said there's some reasons why churches don't experience revival. He said because evangelism has gotten highly commercialized. Now, because we're paying preachers, we feel like we're paying them to evangelize and and it's no longer personal evangelism. It's because the gospel has been cheapened. Just accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is nowhere in Scripture where that you find a sinner's prayer or that you will accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere that you find conversion taking place. And the key high points is Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. Every one of those people were deeply convicted of their sin and they began to repent and to turn away from that and the Holy Ghost came in to their hearts and into their lives. He also said it because of carelessness. Altars have no longer been lingering places where eternal business is done. He said there's others because of fear. Preachers have gotten tight-lipped about preaching against sin and other false religions. Because of a lack of urgency in prayer, there is a wrestling that is going to be required of us in prayer. I'm pleading with you here tonight church that the only people that you hear their voices in prayer, it don't need to be a bunch of old elders. It doesn't need to be Brother Patterson's voice and Brother William's voice and my voice and my dad's voice and some of the older folks here in this church. I'm begging some of you young people that you need to open your mouth up and you need to learn how to pray.
pray. What would happen if all the elders fell over tonight in this church? What in the world would this place turn into in a year's time? I pray that somehow that there's a desperation that gets in. Those of you that are in your 20s and in your 30s that you say, I'm gonna tell you, I've gotta have a passion for revival. I can't get entangled in this world. There's things that I wanna see God do in my life, in my family. There are things that I have to have from God that will not take place if I am a prayerless Christian. He also said it like this, that because the glory of God has been stolen from him, everything but God gets the glory. The preacher, the church, the singers, the youth outings, etc. So forth. He said that is why revival tarries in places. One starling quote that Raven Hill wrote about preachers probably ought to make it to TBN. And uh, it, it, it needs to get out. And here's what he writes. He said, preachers who have homes and cottages by the lake, a boat on that lake and a big bank balance still begging for more. He said, with such extortionist and unjust men can God entrust Holy Ghost revival? These dear doll-like preacher boys no longer change their suits once a day, but two or three times a day. And they preach the Jesus of the stable, but themselves they live in swank hotels. For their own lust, they bleed the audience financially in the name of the one who had to borrow a penny to illustrate one of his sermons. They wear they were expense, wear expensive Hollywood suits in honor of those that of the one that fasted along in the desert. Today an evangelist is not only worthy of his hire, so he thinks, but a compound interest. <coughs> How fearful will all of this be in the judgment morning? And that was just one of the books that Brother Patterson gave to me whenever I was 22 years old. Say, here, you ought to read this. That's about like feeding pit bulls lead, I think. I don't know if it works, but they say if you want to make a dog mean, feed him, feed him lead or gunpowder or something. And I got to read those books at 22 years old and have continued to read those books throughout my entire life. There's a reason I'm intense. There's a reason that I get up here and spit and scream and sweat and carry on. You know why? It's because I believe the word of God. I believe that there are churches that the Lord wants to discover things not only in your life, but in my life as well. And at the end of the day, let me tell you something. When you're facing your death, it's not going to be how successful you were in this world, but it is going to be your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to die well, then you have to live well. And Paul was talking, endure hardness. And then he tells Timothy, don't be entangled. But look with me to verse 4 again. He said that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. We have to endure hardness. We can't get entangled 
And then we have to please the commander. The Amplified Version said it like this. His aim is to satisfy and to please the one who enlisted him. The message says it like this. He concentrates on carrying out the orders. The New English Bible says he must be holy at his commanding officer's disposal. And Paul said, Timothy, he said, please listen to me. He said, you have to please the one that has called you to be a soldier. And you start looking at that matter through all of that. Paul, Paul had lived out his life and now he's coming to the place where he's saying, Timothy, he said, I'm looking backwards in my life and what I'm telling you now is a man that literally is facing death and these are the words that I want to give to you here tonight. In another place, he said it like this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. And you can sum it up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God it's not bound. I might be bound, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It looked like certain defeat. You say, how, how, how does it look like defeat? Because Paul, y'all realize Paul one of the preeminent New Testament missionary preachers, and I'll even put Jesus in this category, you realize both of those men, they were on death row? Now, again, I want you to take what I'm saying in, there was a reason they were there on death row. It wasn't because they had committed some heinous crime, but they were on death row because they were preachers. Now you think about this for a moment. When you start looking for salvation, it's doubtful that you're going to go to any of our prisons and start, hey, I need to find somebody on death row that can help me to be saved. But Paul and Jesus both prisoners mocked by society. And yet Paul says the gospel, the word is not bound. His conviction was so strong that even though he was bound by Caesar, he said, listen to me, there is liberty that comes in my life even though I'm bound and the word of God is gonna get out and it's gonna progress. And he was victorious. I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. One way or another, Paul was saying, I'm going to be faithful, and whenever I get to the end of this thing, the Lord, his will is going to be worked out. Eugene Peterson writes it like this. He finishes it in the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 He said, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. 
Now, he wrote that at the end of his catalog, 2 Corinthians 11, powerful passage of Scripture. Starts in about verse 22 or so when he starts recounting the shipwrecks and the stonings and the beatings and all that he went through and yet he comes along and he says, every bit of that is moving me into a place so that I can be like Jesus Christ. And I got a feeling that there are ordinary soldiers that are serving in places all over our world that we don't know who they are right now. But there will come a day when all of heaven will recognize the greatness of the service of these people. And what they have done to advance the kingdom of God. I think I've told this story before. I'll conclude with this story here tonight. I've told Justin and Nate so many times to reiterate this in in their, their lives. Probably 10 years ago, maybe, I can't remember, uh, Justin and Nathan went with me to Because of the Times and Brother Terry Shock preached a message. Sister Regina, you can come on. Y'all come on so everybody won't be so nervous and know we're about to quit after I preach less than an hour. Y'all were supposed to smile. and But anyway, Brother Shock told this story. He said whenever he was a kid and he was growing up in the church there in Little Rock, Arkansas, Brother Lumpkin was his pastor. And um, he said that one day, he said that after Sunday morning that they were out there cleaning up the, um, his dad, Brother Shock's dad, Brother Jack Shock, had Brother Terry um, in there in the lobby. And he said, my dad was making me mop the lobby. And he said, I kept looking outside. And he said, there was a bunch of boys. And they were out there playing football. He said, there was a grassy field out beside the church and he said they, was out, they were out there playing football and uh, brother Terry Shock said I, I was so angry and aggravated because he said I didn't want to be inside cleaning up that church he said I wanted to be out there playing ball with all those boys and uh, he got aggravated and he, he let the water out of the mop bucket and then when he started back to the back to put the mop bucket up in the closet he shoved the mop bucket in the closet and knocked a hole in the sheetrock he said he's so embarrassed about that had to go get his dad he said my dad he said he, he and brother Lumpkin both he said they took it very well brother Shock said that a few days later his dad pulled him aside and said, said Terry I want, to, want, you to, want you to know this thing that it doesn't matter whether you're in a small church or you're in a mid-sized church or you're in a large church. He says, here's what I want you to understand. He said, and this is the lesson that I was trying to teach you. He said, in every church, he said, there's a small handful. If it's a small church, it's a small handful. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit larger. 
if it's a larger church, he said, it's still a little bit larger. He said, but there's always just a handful in that church that makes things go and gets things done. He said, Terry, he said, I want to tell you this, that no matter where you end up in church, he said, you always make sure that you're in that little small handful. He said, whether they're working, whether they're praying, whether they're witnessing, or whether they're worshiping, he said, you make sure that you're in that little small handful. It's very obvious what the Lord has done with Brother Terry and Sister Melanie Shock. Done some fantastic things in their lives. But trust me, there's a whole lot of others out there that we don't know who they are right now. They're in that little small handful. And there'll come a day whenever the Lord will call those soldiers out. He was getting old and and paunchy. His hair was falling fast and he he sat around the legion telling stories of the past of a war that he had fought in and the deeds that he had done in his exploits with his buddies. They were the heroes, every one. And though sometimes to his neighbors his tales became a joke, all of his legion buddies, they listened because they knew whereof he spoke. But we'll hear his tales no longer for old Bill has passed away and the world's a little poor for a soldier died today. He won't be mourned by many, just his children and his wife, for he lived an ordinary and quite uneventful life. He held a job, he raised a family, he quietly went his own way and the world won't notice passing though a soldier died today when politicians leave this earth their their bodies lie in state while thousands note their passing and proclaim that they were great papers tell their whole life story and from the time that they were young but the passing of a soldier goes unnoticed and unsung is the greatest contribution to the welfare of our land a guy that breaks his promises and cons his fellow man? Or is it the ordinary fellow who in times of war and strife goes off to serve his country and offers up his life? A politician's stipend and the style in which he lives are sometimes disproportionate to the service that he gives. While the ordinary soldier who offered his all is paid off with a medal and perhaps a pension that's small. It's so easy to forget them for it was so long ago that the old bills of our country who went to battle. But we know it was not the politicians with their compromises and ploys who won for us the freedom that our country now enjoys. And should you find yourself in danger with your enemies at hand, would you want a politician with his ever-shifting stand? 
Or would you prefer a soldier who was sworn to defend his home, his kin, and his country and would fight until the end? And I just want to tell you, tell you that here tonight. It's scattered throughout this congregation is that there are soldiers. No, you not preaching conferences. No, nobody has asked you to get on the platform at North American Youth Congress. Nobody has got you on the mission field where thousands have received the Holy Ghost. But what have you done? You paid your tithes. You've been faithful to your family. You've been faithful to the church. You've been faithful to God. And when Wednesday night gets here, you'll be here. And when next Sunday morning, you'll be here. Next Sunday night, you'll be here. And you're probably not looking for faith healers to pray for you. You're just looking for Brother Robert Williams to pray for you. You're just looking for Sister Regina Miller to sing another song. Just waiting on Sister Rhonda Lewis to give another message in tongues interpretation. Waiting on all these praise singers to just get up here and, and do what they do. You're waiting on me to get up and preach. And I'm waiting on you for us to endure hardness to not get entangled with this world and to please our Savior because you see here's the thing Bill he was just a common soldier his ranks are growing thin but his presence should remind us that we need those soldiers again because when churches are in conflict, we find the soldier's part is to clean up all the troubles and to pray their part. If we can't do them honor while they're here to hear the praise, then at least let's all be committed being soldiers of the cross I'd like for you to stand where you're at we're going to socially distance I'm going to open the altars up and I want you to space out if you got to space out down the aisles you got a space out down the front. I want you to step into this altar area with your family. And I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord. And I want you to ask the Lord here tonight, Lord, 